where we are in John, in John chapter 12, uh, starting around verse 9, 10, is the triumphal entry where Jesus goes into Jerusalem on, that starts the last week of his life. And so uh, two weeks from now is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, so we're on track, Lord willing, to be in that passage on Palm Sunday. Uh, John chapter 11, before I read the text, um, I know we have a lot of Illinois basketball fans here, and uh, they have a, a game today with, with my team, Ohio State, and um, I would just like to say that, and I'm not trying to jinx Illinois, but I think Illinois is unbeatable and cannot be stopped, and I've actually made this, um, that they will win the national championship, and um, yeah, I think we might as well just start all start talking as if they've already won. Um, so, congratulations. Um, John chapter 11. And I'll be reading a, a portion of the passage. I'll quote the passage throughout the sermon. Um, and just to make sure we don't go 55 minutes, I'm going to read the opening section of the passage before we uh, get into John 11. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, If he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we again humbly come before you in worship for your greatness, holiness, and righteousness, and splendor, and majesty. Lord, you are the Almighty. Lord, we pray for this message today. Lord, that it point people again to you and to your word, to the goodness of the gospel and the grace of your Son, our Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone was missing. One of the prisoners had escaped, which meant for the remaining prisoners there would be consequences, severe consequences. In July of 1941, during morning roll call, it was discovered that one of the prisoners of Barracks 14 at Auschwitz had escaped. 
while prisoners from the other barracks were sent to work. The men at barracks 14 were forced to stand in the July sun all day. And at night, 10 men were selected to die as a price to be paid for the escapee. Not in the gas chambers or by a firing squad, but by being locked together in a single cell, given no food or water until they all eventually perished. One of the selected men, Franciszek Gazalzinek, was a Polish resistance fighter. In the anguish of his imminent death, he begged for mercy. What would happen to his wife and children? What would they do? But he'd already been selected as one of the ten men to die. Facing that horrible situation, it might be hard to believe that Franciszek Gazalzinek would go on to survive the Holocaust. But how? We're continuing in the Gospel of John this morning. In this passage, we look at Jesus giving life to the dead. Each of the four Gospels has accounts of Jesus raising someone to life. Jesus raises a widow's son in Luke chapter 7. Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus, a synagogue leader, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Incredible and astounding displays, astounding displays of the power of the Lord. But none of these stories are as dramatic or detailed as Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. To this point in the Gospel of John, we've seen the temperature rising during Jesus' ministry. He's had numerous run-ins with the Pharisees. In our passage last week in John 10 verse 30, Jesus talks of, of his relationship with God and says, I and the Father are one. And in the very next verse, we see that the religious leaders and the Jews respond by picking up stones to stone Jesus. They try to arrest him, but Jesus slips away. In last week's passage, they were in Jerusalem. And when we begin our story in John chapter 11, Jesus and the disciples are no longer in Jerusalem, but are in the Jordan, Transjordan region. And with that, we'll jump into our passage, and we're going to be looking at this story today in five scenes. First scene, the death of Lazarus. Going back to the beginning of the passage, verses 1 and 2. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So John jumps right into the story and introduces the characters. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are mentioned elsewhere in the Gospels, most notably Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is at the house of Martha and Mary. Martha gets frustrated uh, that she's busying herself while her sister Mary is just sitting at the Lord's feet. Clearly, Mary was the younger sister, uh, but... John also mentions Mary anointing Jesus' feet. It seems that John assumes that people know a little bit about them and their story when he writes his gospel. Because he mentions that event, even though in his gospel it hasn't happened yet. It actually happens in the next chapter, in chapter 12. And then we have their brother Lazarus, who is deathly ill. And because of his illness, his sisters have sent out word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. 
So Jesus shows us the purpose for why this is happening. It is for the glory of God. But Jesus also says that this illness does not lead to death. But as we will see in the story, Lazarus does die. And so what Jesus is saying is that the things will not ultimately end that way. Jesus will intervene. And so we see that the family has a relationship with Jesus. And John reminds us how Jesus feels about the family in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so with that, Jesus finding out that he's so ill, what would we expect? Lazarus is sick. His sisters have reached out. They're people whom Jesus loves. You would think that Jesus would drop everything he's doing and immediately rush to the aid of his friend, right? But that's not what he does. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now that's very interesting. He hears how ill Lazarus is, and he decides to wait two more days. Why doesn't he leave immediately? If he loved him, shouldn't he have left immediately? That, in a way, almost makes Jesus seem malicious. But we see in this story that he is anything but. Jesus is God on earth. He has already said that this story does not end in death. It is for the glory of God. Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's in total control of this situation. And he will raise Lazarus from the dead. And in the process, God is glorified. The witnesses of the miracle are edified. They're enabled to get a glimpse of the awesome power of the Lord. Lazarus is blessed. He is this, the recipient of this incredible act of God. And even as we read the story of Lazarus, Jesus raising this man from the dead almost 2,000 years later, we too get the benefit of getting this picture of the power of Christ and the hope that we all have in the gospel. And so after Jesus hears how ill Lazarus is and decides to wait two more days, he then decides to go to Lazarus, bringing along his disciples. But the disciples, and just a reminder, we haven't seen a whole lot of interaction with the disciples to this point in John's gospel, but they're uncomfortable with this. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? They bring up the conflicts. Jerusalem is in Judea. Jerusalem is a city within the region of Judea. Bethany is a couple miles away from Jerusalem. And people in that region have already been after Jesus. And Jesus is aware of this. Verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Part of what Jesus is doing here is calling the disciples to trust him, to walk with him, to walk in faith and not in fear as they partake in his ministry. 
But that's also true, not just for the disciples, but for us as well. That's one of the things that struck me as I've studied passages like this. That God accomplishes his purposes. And to serve the Lord, sometimes that can take us to places that scare us. Sometimes that can have us doing things that we don't want to do. But in those times, trusting God, that God is in control. God is faithful. God is working for his own glory. God is working all things for good. Sometimes God can have us serve in places. Sometimes God can have us serve in ways where we're not necessarily in danger, but where it's something that's totally out of our comfort zone, something that we totally feel unequipped for, unprepared for. But where that is our moment. That is our time to step up and to serve. And in those times, it's a matter of trusting the Lord. Where he has us and where he's leading us. The disciples don't want to go. And Jesus explains the situation. And at first, the disciples are confused. He talks of how Lazarus is asleep. Now, in the Old Testament... Sleep is oftentimes used as a euphemism for death. And so the disciples initially think that Jesus is referring literally to sleep. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus says that for the disciples' sake, he's glad that he wasn't there when Lazarus died. He's not glad that Lazarus is dead. But if Jesus had been there, he would have healed Lazarus and the disciples would not have been able to see this tremendous display of his power. But in the fact that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he knows the impact that it will have on the disciples and on others throughout the region. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe this incredible Miraculous sign results in people believing and trusting in him. So that's the first scene of the story, the death of Lazarus. The second scene, Jesus and Martha. They traveled to Bethany, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So we had seen in the previous section that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited two days. In this verse, it says that Lazarus has been dead four days. The reason is that Jesus is two days' journey away when he learns that Lazarus is sick. So even if Jesus hadn't waited those two extra days, he still wouldn't have gotten to Bethany in time. Many people have come from nearby Jerusalem for the funeral. And at this point, John shifts his focus to Jesus' interactions with Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Verses 20 and 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. 
But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think that can come across almost like Martha's blaming Jesus. I don't think that's necessarily what's happening here. It's more that she knows the power that Jesus has. She knows that Jesus could have intervened had he been there. But again, it doesn't really seem like she's blaming him. Verse 22, she continues to express her faith. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And in verse 23, we see another example of people misunderstanding Jesus. Something that's a constant thread throughout this gospel. People not understanding what Jesus is saying. The disciples had misunderstood Jesus when he talked about Lazarus sleeping. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. He's speaking about something in the immediate future. She thinks he's talking about something in the distant future. When he says that Lazarus will rise again. Martha, and really many Jewish people in this time in the first century believed in some sort of resurrection event. That was a common view among Jewish people. Not as robust or central to their faith as it is to Christianity. But they did have some concept for that. And so that seems to be what Martha believes in. She has faith that eventually, in the end, Lazarus will be raised from the dead. But Jesus explains, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I've pointed out Jesus's I am statements in the Gospel of John. This is the fifth of those seven statements. The only hope of the resurrection is through Jesus because he is the resurrection. The resurrection of Lazarus happens because Jesus is the resurrection. And the resurrection of all people, the raising of the dead, the hope all of us have is because Jesus is the resurrection. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is the resurrection and no one else is. Because Jesus is also the door. Because Jesus is also the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Because Jesus is also the light of the world. Because Jesus is also the way. Because Jesus is God on earth. Jesus is the resurrection. And he doesn't just say that. He shows it. He shows it with with Lazarus. But this event also points to his own death and resurrection. He is the resurrection because he gave up his life. And we have hope for the resurrection because he first died and then rose. That is the promise of Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He shows his love for us and that he died for us while we were yet sinners. And all of those things are trustworthy. 
And all of those things are of infinite importance. And of eternal importance. Because Jesus Christ, the living God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is the resurrection. He is the light of the world. He is the hope for the world. Because Jesus gives life to the dead. He gives spiritual life to those who are dead in sin. And he gives the promise of eternal life for those who have faith in him. Jesus is the resurrection and he says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Eternal life comes from the resurrection, which comes through Jesus and is given to all who believe in him. Eternal life is promised in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it is through faith that we are made right with God. Faith is the basis by which we are judged. Judged because of the perfection of Jesus. And Jesus continues to elaborate on his, on his thoughts of Martha. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks Martha, do you believe this? Verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When we read the Gospels, we have the entire story. They don't. And Martha doesn't. They're figuring out things about Jesus. But her statement is quite profound. She's expressing her belief in Jesus. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When Martha expresses faith, Jesus had asked her, do you believe this? And I'll ask you, do you believe that? That everyone who believes in him shall never die. Do you believe that? Because that is the heart of the gospel. That is believing in Jesus by faith. His death, he died for you. The life that he was raised to so that you could have life. Do you believe that? That Jesus is the resurrection. And the offer of forgiveness is one that he makes every day. The grace is given to you. You just have to believe in him and trust in him. And he gives you the promise of eternal life. To accept by faith what Jesus has done for you. To trust in him as your hope. To know that Jesus is the Lord who takes away the penalty of our sins. We come to a third scene. And in this scene, at this point in the story, it's almost like a wake for Lazarus. The people are mourning his death, verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her. Supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Interesting fact, by the way, about Jewish funerals in the first century, that it was customary to actually hire professional mourners to be at the funeral. You would hire people to weep. You would hire uh, somebody to play like 
basically like a flute type of instrument for the funeral service. Verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So it's Jesus, Mary, the mourners. Mary expresses a similar sentiment to Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 35 tells us Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the entire Bible. But why does Jesus weep? Is it because Lazarus has died? Well, this whole story, Jesus is aware of what he's going to do for Lazarus. Certainly, we can't know exactly why Jesus wept. It's hard to know the emotions of the only fully God, fully man person to ever exist. But if I can offer a suggestion, in the sinful world we live in, and the death that results from sin, and the unbelief and lack of faith that so many have in our world, and in the heartbrokenness of the sisters of Lazarus, and in all of that, in that moment, Jesus wept. Again, that's just my thought on the subject. But I think what we do see from knowing that we have a Lord who weeps is that Jesus is not some distant, far-off, oblivious creator. But he is a personal God who came into the world. He's a personal God who touched lepers and healed the sick. He's a personal God who's intimately aware of our struggles. And he is compassionate and gracious to them. He entered into humanity. It's a whole world where people have turned away from him, rejected him, tried to put themselves on the throne instead of him. And as a result of those sins and greed and idolatry and the harm that is done, that we live in a wicked and fallen world where there is so much hurt and destruction. But Jesus wept. He cares for you. He cares for his world. When we were without hope, he came and gave us hope on the cross. When there was no way, he came and made a way by his life and death and resurrection. He's not far off and distant, but the personal God who is involved in his world and weeps when he's surrounded by the death and sinful state of the world. Fourth scene, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Verse 38. By the way, if you're taking notes, the third scene I titled, Jesus Weeps. Fourth scene, raising Lazarus. 
Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Imagine a man who's been dead for four days and hasn't been embalmed. Can you imagine that smell? I was going to make a sports joke, but decided to cut that out. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is again reminding Martha that he is going to display the glory of God. He reminds her of the faith that she has already possessed. That Jesus is in this. She trusts in the resurrection. She trusts in Jesus. And may we be people like that. Who don't just say we believe things, but who actually live and walk by faith. Verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. As is common in the Gospel of John, Jesus pays homage and gives honor to God the Father. Within the Trinity, the three persons aren't competing. The triune nature of the Godhead is in perfect union. But during his ministry, we see Jesus continuing to honor the Father. Verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. A powerful display of his glory. And God's glory is certainly important in the Gospel of John. We talked about it in John chapter 2 when Jesus turned water into wine. The passage says that the purpose for that sign was Jesus manifested his glory. And in this section, the closing section before, as we approach the final week of his life and ministry, we see this powerful display of his glory. In our scientific age and wanting to have proof and evidence to justify beliefs, the idea of believing in the resurrection that Jesus promises to some seems absurd. And perhaps some people even in this room in our heart of hearts sometimes struggle with this idea because it just seems too fantastical and wonderful. It can be easy to look at Christianity and believe that it's the best way to live. But to lose sight of the fact that Jesus didn't just show us how to live, but he gives us eternal life. He's not just someone who points us to a better life, though he does. But the eternality of his promises and 
as unfathomable as it may seem at times, we should remember it is because Jesus is unfathomably good and glorious. With all the things we deal with, and there's significant struggles that we have. For some, never having enough money. For some, never having enough time. For some, health issues. For some, some other thorn in our side. Significant struggles that we have. The ordinary things of life. We work with those things. We deal with those things. It's life. But if that's where our focus always is, the promise of eternal life through Christ can so often not seem quite as sweet. Jesus again reveals the glory of God in raising Lazarus from the dead. And if that's something we don't take joy in, don't find delight in, don't turn our minds to, if it's something we don't meditate on and think about and remember, then it'll always be this temptation to treat the resurrection just like it's some fairy tale. No, that is the ultimate reality of life. That we are sinful people who are dead in our sins and that Jesus is God on earth who gives eternal life. It is the ultimate reality of the fate of all who have placed faith in Christ. That we can turn to him because he rose from the dead. And we see his goodness to the people whom he loves when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the resurrection that he gives to Lazarus, he promises to all who trust in him. And that is the promise that he makes to all who call on his name. To all who turn away from their sins and turn to Christ. To all who confess that Jesus is Lord. That there is the promise of life because of what Christ has done. The grace that he freely gives. There's nothing Lazarus has done to earn this resurrection that Jesus gives him. Lazarus loved Jesus, and Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus had died. He couldn't earn the right to have life again. It's something that no one can earn, no one can deserve, no one can work for. But it's because of Jesus. No one who's dead can demand to be raised. But it's because of Christ that he is the resurrection. And Jesus raises Lazarus here because he is good, because he is powerful, and because he is glorious. And we come to a final scene in the story, and it's the fallout, the response of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's the plot against Jesus. Verses 45 and 46. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. I think back to John chapter 4. An official comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus assures the man that his son will live. The man doesn't question what Jesus has said. He takes the Lord at his word. Jesus heals the boy from a distance. But here in the story of Lazarus, Jesus goes to him. He doesn't have to, though. He could have healed him in a similar fashion to the boy. 
But in publicly doing this miracle, it displays his power and glory to a wider audience. And as the text tells us, many of the Jews who had witnessed this event believed in Jesus. I'd like to think some of us would too, seeing something like that. Verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, I'll continue, one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to him, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who had been scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Verse 53 ends ominously. The leaders look at everything Jesus has done. And they finally decide that Jesus must be stopped. In verse 47, the religious leaders are left questioning things. They see the signs that Jesus is doing. The following that he's building. And with what he's doing, if Jesus continues, in verse 48, they say, everyone will believe in him. Truly a profound statement that they could still miss the point. That people believe in Jesus because of the glorious ministry he has. and Because he is the savior of the world. The things people will believe in the power of God on earth. But with all of that, they still miss the point and don't see that they're trying to stop the light of the world themselves. And so Jesus returns to Jerusalem, an area which had been hostile to him. But it's also another step in the divine plan, because it's another step that leads to the cross. Because the fallout of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is that the leaders double down on their efforts to capture Jesus, convict him, and see him put to death. Jesus takes a dead man and gives him life. And as an ultimate result of that, Jesus will lose his own life. It's fitting because all of us are enabled to have life in Christ because he died for us as well. Saving a life at the cost of a life. In 1941... When Franciszek Kozalczyk had pleaded for his life, a Polish priest who was also a prisoner in the camp named Maximilian Kolbe stepped up. He asked if he could die in the place of Kozalczyk. Perhaps the camp guards were in a good mood that day because they allowed the exchange. And it was Kolbe and not Kozalczyk who was taken to the bunker. He gave his life to save another. 
Franzizek Kazavzinek did not die in the Holocaust in the summer of 1941. He lived another 53 years when he died in 1995 at the age of 93. We were condemned of our sins and dead in our sins. But the gospel is that Jesus died for us so that we could have life. The story of Lazarus is significant because it shows us another miracle that Jesus did in his ministry. But it also sets the table for his greatest miracle. His death, he died as a just man to save sinners. And his victory over death and his glorious resurrection are what gives life to those who believe in him. Because Jesus is the resurrection. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the eternal life that Jesus promises. Lord, and for all of us, I pray that we know that. Know that by faith we are saved, we are made right with you. Something that we can never earn or deserve, but Lord, something that you freely give. Through the death of your Son, our Lord Jesus, and his resurrection from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.